Right now we're in Nehemiah chapter 12, if you'd like to open your Bible there or navigate on your device. Nehemiah 12, beginning in verse 26. We're going to take that to the end of the chapter. The topic of those verses, Nehemiah appoints two choirs to sing, advancing toward one another in a processional on top of the walls surrounding Jerusalem. The title of our message, Celebrate, Celebrate, Advance to the Music. Three Dog Night, this first concert I ever saw. I'm not proud of it, but I did. But anyway, (laughs) let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, everything that's happened on this campus thus far. Greetings from Christians, Lord, brotherly love, worship of the Most High God. Now we attend to your word and we uh, trust that your spirit, who you promised would be our teacher, will teach us. And that you'll speak to us in that place between the soul and the spirit where only you can communicate. Take this ancient text and make it relevant to our lives today. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, amen. The character coming out of retirement to resume his or her exploits is a common occurrence in film. In the Star Wars original trilogy, uh, who knew old Ben Kenobi was retired Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi? In the first Cars, Doc Hudson comes out of retirement to help Lightning McQueen in his quest to win the coveted Piston Cup. Speaking of Paul Newman, as Henry Gondorf, he was coaxed back for one last sting. I want to suggest to you that the Israelites retired for 70 years in Babylon from something very dear to them. You're told what it is in Psalm 137. I'll read it to you. By the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Known for joyous choruses of praise, their Babylonian captors asked and expected them to sing. They would not, they could not, not while in Babylon with their city, its walls, and its temple in ruin. They hung their harps in the willows, which I take to represent all of their instruments. They hung it up until the dedication ceremony marking the completion of the wall. Jerusalem was protected. It was being repopulated. The second temple was open for spiritual business. They would come out of worship, retirement, in a big way as two choirs advance toward one another atop the wall. Now, as you're reading this text, something seems to stick out. In the New King James, the choirs are called Thanksgiving choirs in verses 31 and 38 and 40. In his very good commentary on Nehemiah, Derek Kinder points out that uh, this phrase, Thanksgiving choirs, is actually a single word in Hebrew. It is the word thanksgivings. While they were indeed two large choirs, they were to be seen and heard as thanksgivings, as if they embodied the very quality of thanksgiving itself. If you embody someone, you put him or her in body, as it were, like when an actor gives a complete and compelling representation of a character. Before he was Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. gave a critically acclaimed Academy Award-winning performance of Charlie Chaplin. He embodied that character. 
You can also use embody to describe character traits you see in a person, like he embodies truth or Pastor Gene embodies love. I just made that up. (laughs) I kind of do, but anyway. We're going to talk about Christians embodying thanksgivings, about giving a concrete form to and expressing and personifying and exemplifying thanksgivings. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, waiting encourages you to advance in thanksgivings. And number two, worship encourages you to advance in thanksgivings. Let's take a look at waiting first in verses 27 through 30. Billy Graham wrote, are you thankful no matter what? Perhaps you have lost your job recently. You may have lost your health or a loved one. Such circumstances can be tremendously difficult. But even so, we all have much to be thankful for. Thanksgiving should be one of the most distinctive marks of the believer in Jesus Christ. A sentence that sticks out to me is, such circumstances can be tremendously difficult. We all have these terrible things that come into our lives. Our tremendously difficult circumstances are where we can retreat or advance in our thanksgivings. As wise and old preachers used to say in cliche, you can grow bitter or you can grow better. If it was easy, if it came naturally, if all we needed was a positive mental attitude, then thanksgivings would be devoid of any supernatural quality. We wouldn't need God and his superabundant grace. If I, can be thanks, if I can embody thanksgiving on my own then God, without God helping me, then it, it, it's not really the kind of thanksgiving that the Lord wants me to show the world. You remember the Geico caveman commercials to roughly apply their slogan, if thanksgivings were easy, even a non-believer could do it. We're talking about a deep, settled gratitude toward God no matter what. It isn't a matter of counting my blessings because sooner or later my list of bummers will exceed my blessings. It's a supernatural matter of reckoning that God is good and embodying gratitude at all times. Now, the first few verses describe the gathering of the participants for the thanksgivings. And so let's start taking a look at the text. Verse 27, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Seventy years held captive by the rivers of Babylon where they sat down and hung up their worship. After Cyrus's decree giving the Israelites permission to return and rebuild, many more decades ensued before the second temple was completed. Then more time elapsed before the wall was finished. Those were the circumstances for the Israelites, for a people who were identified with Jerusalem and the temple, a people who could only really worship properly at the temple, To say this was tremendously difficult is a tremendous understatement. They offered thanksgivings and singing. They embodied thanksgiving in their singing. Now, you already know that thanksgiving 101 for the Christian is to live above your circumstances, trusting in the mercy of God, even if it is a severe mercy. Stripped of everything else, you remain saved for eternity You can, at the very least, always embody the hope of eternal life. If that's not Thanksgiving worthy, I don't know what is. Job once said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job's theology of exactly what was happening to him was uninformed. God wasn't trying to kill him. You and I know that. 
But his declaration that God is to be trusted, that was spot on. He said, look, even if God wants to kill me, I trust him. I love him. Job would also declare, I know that my Redeemer lives. He does indeed. It's Jesus risen from the dead with the promise of eternal life. And that promise is guaranteed by the down payment gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul uh, speaks of Jesus as the bridegroom and of the church, you and I as his bride. And earlier in the book, he talks about the guarantee of the Holy Spirit that the Lord has given us. And that word can mean uh, an engagement ring. And so in one sense, the picture is that God has given the engagement ring of the Holy Spirit to you so that you are guaranteed that he will take you to heaven and consummate the relationship, as it were, by raising you from the dead or rapturing you and uh, giving you eternal life for, uh, with him on and on and on. And so uh, these kinds of things, when you get down to basic things like this, they should make you feel Thanksgiving-ish. Uh, it's it just fantastic. I'm saved, and there's nothing you can do about that. All of the terrible things that men try to do and all of the terrible things that can happen to us, uh, the diseases, the difficulties, they, they can't take away the guarantee of eternal life. And so within anything, I can be thanksgiving. Verse 28, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nedophathathai. You know, I haven't, remember I've been joking about not reading these long lists of names, and so now it's catching up to me. So I don't know who these guys are. From the house of Gilgal, that's an easy one, and from the fields of Geba and Asvameth, for the singers had built themselves villages all around Jerusalem. Singers were a class of servants that were set aside to serve in the temple. Again, remember how much time had passed since Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed Solomon's temple, the captivity and the rebuilding of the temple and now the rebuilding of the wall. It's amazing there were temple singers all over Israel. Levites were born into their calling. It was hereditary. You were born a Levite, and that means you were to serve the temple. God was your portion. But singers were an entirely different group that could be formed from any tribe. And so how do you as a father convince your son that he is going to be a singer when there's no singing going on and, there's really, and you're not even in your temple? I mean, that's a hard sell. That's a tough one. Son, you come from a long line of singers. Dad, I don't see anybody singing. One day there will be singing. Okay. And so this kid picks up. He said, okay, I'm a singer. Now then, how about the grandkid? I mean, you're down how many generations? 70, 80, 90, 100 years trying to convince people to be singers. It's like jobs that don't exist anymore, right? All of a sudden, you go to work one day and your position has been taken over by a robot and stuff. It's gone. And yet, there they were all over Israel, the singers, ready to take their place. It's a really neat encouragement to believe in the promises of God. These, these people, even though in captivity, they believed they would be back in their land based on the promises of God. And um, so they lived as if they would be back in their land and they readied for it. That's a whole other issue that we could study. The priests, the Levites, verse 30, purified themselves and purified the people, the gates and the wall. Likely this means animals were sacrificed and according to the law of Moses, their blood would be sprinkled by the Levites on themselves and all the rest, signifying they were set apart by the blood sacrifice that the Lord had accepted on their behalf. 
Now, here's the parallel for us. The Israelites had been in tremendous difficulties in the world, but in the end, they gathered in Jerusalem embodying thanksgivings. We will be in tremendous difficulties in the world, but in the end, we will be resurrected or raptured, gathered into the heavenly city, New Jerusalem, embodying thanksgivings. Now, you might argue that the Israelites did not embody thanksgivings while they were in captivity, awaiting their physical return to the temple. Maybe not. I think that might be going too far, but let's say they didn't. We, however, are not in captivity. We have been set free from the power of sin and from Satan and from death. We are the temple as we journey homeward to our city. And so our waiting is different than their waiting. We can learn about waiting from them, but we wait differently. We can wait with thanksgivings all the time. If you're a Christian, you have been saved from the power of sin. Not the presence of sin, but from the power of sin. If you say you don't sin, you're a liar and you need to confess and repent, but he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. But literally speaking, we are freed from the power of sin. I don't have to sin. I choose to sin. And I'm, I'm not held captive by the devil. Now, he's still after me. He's still strategizing. He's got plans that are crazy beyond my understanding to try and trip me up, and you too. But... Um, he, he really can't touch me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And you and I, if you're a Christian, you have conquered death with Jesus Christ. Death is no longer an enemy. You don't need to fear death. In fact, death is something that can even be welcomed. Paul the Apostle said, essentially, this is my paraphrase, I'm ready to die, and that would be better than living, but I guess if God wants me to live, I'll go on serving him. And so um, sometimes you've been a Christian so long you forget that. It's like, okay, yeah, I know when I die I'm going to heaven. Bam, wait a minute. I'm free from sin and Satan and death. I, I'm, I'm a, uh, this is a fantastic thing. And in the midst of all my suffering and all my tremendous difficulties, that can't change. And so people say, well, what do you have to be thanksgiving about? I'm going to heaven, where are you going? If I have a disease, I'm gonna get there sooner. If somebody died, they got there sooner. I mean, it's, it's, it's a win-win for Christians, right? And so that's what we're talking about today. If I set my affections on things above, if I remember I'm already seated with Jesus in the heavenlies and then allow my heart to be thrilled at the joy of his salvation, past, present, and future, I embody thanksgivings no matter how great the tribulation I endure in the world. In one sense, our entire time on earth is to be spent advancing through suffering in thanksgivings in the light of our future hope and our future home. And so if you're one of those people who thinks, well, I've never really had much trials, just wait. Talk to me in a year, two years, three years. Everybody suffers, some more than others, but all of us can be thanksgivings uh, because of what the Lord has done. Now, secondly, in verses 31 through 47, worship encourages you to advance in thanksgivings. Candlelight, that's a Christmas tradition at Disneyland, it's as old as the park itself. Choirs from high schools all over Southern California proceed caroling down Main Street carrying candles. They fill up the choir stand set up at the train station and join a full orchestra. They perform traditional Christmas hymns and carols. And here's the greatest thing about it. A guest celebrity reads the story of the birth of Jesus Christ from the Gospel of Luke. It's unreal. How many of you have been to a candlelight service? 
few of you, it's, it's really a great thing. And you're sitting there at Disneyland thinking, wow, everybody's boycotting Disney, but they don't even know that they're sharing the gospel here with thousands of people as they read this story. Pretty cool. We've been to a few of them over the years. So much cooler, Nehemiah's dedication of the wall with his processions. Verse 31, so I brought the leader of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large Thanksgiving choirs or thanksgivings. One went to the right hand of the wall toward the refuse gate. Might want to rename that gate just for the festivities. Uh, You guys are going to head towards the refuse gate. I mean the redemption gate. Cities do that sometimes. They rename streets or, or buildings temporarily for some, or sometimes permanently, but I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just me. Maybe they really had a thing for the refuse gate, but uh, kind of takes away from it. One group went clockwise on the wall, the other counterclockwise, advancing toward each other while singing with musical accompaniment. I'm going to guess that they did some rehearsing. I mean, this is way bigger than the average wedding, and I've seen some rehearsals that were just insane. You want me to stand here or here? And then the next day they don't remember it anyway. So uh, everybody's like crazy. when it, And so this, is a, this needs rehearsing. Too many moving parts to simply wing it. Some people feel that spontaneity is inherently more spiritual. Usually it isn't. I remember one time we were doing an outreach at um, the presentation center. Long, long time ago. And afterwards this guy from... Uh, one of the churches came up and he said, hey, you know, that was a, that was a pretty good Bible study, but you, you refer to your notes too much. You need to just be more spontaneous. And I said, well, you just need to shut up. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. But people just have an inherent feeling that it's better to be spontaneous. I think God is mostly a planner, don't you? I mean, I don't know if he had a day planner when he made the earth in, seven, in six days, but... I think when he got to day three, he thought, yeah, I should probably finish this thing. I mean, I don't see him just going off script at all. When you wake up each day, do you think God's just going to wing it? Or, or do you think that he has a definite plan for your life and a will that you can discover? I, I think it's the, the latter. And so spontaneity is not everything it's cracked up to be. I understand this, but um, we'll talk a little bit about it more when we get to uh, some deeper verses. Verse 32, after them went Hoshahiah and half the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, it helps if I get closer, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, and some of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, the son of Zakur, the son of Asaph, and his brethren, Shemaiah, Azarel, Here's a good name for twins, Milale and Gilale, right? So if anybody's pregnant with twins, you might want to underline this in your Bible. Biblical names, right? Everybody loves biblical names, so let's go for it. Uh, Ma'ai, I don't know how to pronounce that, Nathanael, Judah, and Hanani with all the musical instruments of David, the man of God. Why can't they all have simple names? And Ezra the scribe went before them. Now, the mention of David is pauseworthy. Before David, there had been no mention of the use of musical instruments in worship. 500 years after Moses received the law, God commanded David to use musical instruments when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. God instructed David to establish worship with, quote, the musical instruments of God, unquote. 
Some scholars believe David invented several instruments to praise the Lord. And so David was a shepherd, he was a king, he was a psalmist, he was a warrior, and he was a luthier as he would build different instruments uh, as unto the Lord. When Solomon dedicated the first temple, the Levites worshiped him, and I quote, with instruments of the music of the Lord, which King David made to praise the Lord. The point Nehemiah is making is that David, uh, in mentioning David, is only to emphasize they were back to worshiping God as he had prescribed for them in his temple. They had come full circle back uh, to the land and to worship. It wasn't a prescription for all future worship. Temple worship practices are just that. They are for Jews in their temple. We worship God in spirit and in truth, having great and gracious freedom with regards to styles and songs and instrumentation. Uh, I'm not going to go into a big thing about all that. Just I think that says it all. I believe, we believe that there's a great freedom that God gives us to worship him in different styles and with different instruments. Uh, and, you know, we're always careful not to lose our freedoms, right? And so people will come along and they say, well, these are the only instruments mentioned in the Bible. No, these are the instruments mentioned in the temple. And you know what else they did at the temple? They killed lambs. When's the last time you killed a lamb? Oh, that doesn't count. We need to sing like they sang, but we didn't need, don't need to do any other worship like they did. If you're in, go all in. And just say, hey, we're going to do temple worship. We're going to use these imp- only symbols and lyres and trumpets, and we're going to kill lambs and um, see how far that gets you. But anyway, uh, so don't, don't be bamboozled by people who have all these opinions about uh, music and musical instruments. You want to have internal arguments about whether we should sing more hymns or all worship courses, that's a whole other thing. Um, a lot of that, I'll, I'll just tell you my personal philosophy you go with the people you've got. God brings people to the church, gifts them a certain way, and you encourage their gift. You don't make them do things that God has not equipped them to do. And so if you want, uh, if you were in the camp that says we need to sing more hymns, then we need to get a bunch of people in here who um, you know, can lead hymns. Because I can't. I don't know anything about music. But anyway, so anyway, no Jewish worship here. Uh, Verse 37, by the fountain gate in front of them, they went up the stairs of the city of David on the stairway of the wall beyond the house of David as far as the water gate eastward. The other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way and I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, above the old gate, above the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, tower of the hundred as far as the sheep gate, they stopped by the gate of the prison. Also not a good name. So they start at refuse and they end at prison. Uh, I don't know, the symbolism is weird. But you can picture this scene for yourself. It would have been magnificent for sure. This candlelight celebration I told you at Disneyland, it's really cool, but it's nothing like this would have been as these processionals marched around the wall singing praises with musical accompaniment. It was primitive surround sound. It was the first, you know, a guy named... uh, Eli Dolby was there, I think, and so, don't you love going to the movies and they have to tell you how many hundreds of times about the sound system, you know, and then they always have an an ad for the sound system, you know, it's all around you and stuff, all right, 
the Galaxy Theaters in Tulare, we were like to go, they have a Atmos, I think. I don't know if it's, I forget the whole name of it. That's how effective the ads are. But I mean, you, you, we almost had to leave one time. I was like, well, I can't take it. You know, it was like so weird and loud. But anyway, I'm old now. Verse 40. So the two Thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God, likewise I and the half of the rulers with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Min, Minjamim, that yeah, sounds like a spice, uh, Micaiah, Elioenai, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, also Maesia, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, who invented a gun, uh, Jehoiahan, Malchijah, Elam, and Ezer. Uh, the singer sang loudly with Jezariah, the director. And so this reads like a program, and they had a director. This was a highly organized, carefully executed praise-a-thon. Verse 43, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy, for the women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Family worship, good thing. We do it on Wednesday evenings, and you know what? It's worth attending just to hear the kids sing and pray. Um, when we pick up again, we have this Wednesday coming up, and then we're off in July, but when we pick up again in August, I'm not saying everybody should come to Wednesday night, even though you should, uh, but uh, you should come once in a while. It's worth it just to hear the kids sing and pray. I mean, little kids, we go to prayer now, and they've taken it over. Dear Jesus... Help my mommy and daddy. And it's like, it's so precious. It like melts your heart. And you think, oh, I got to get my prayer request to that kid so that God will hear it, you know? So here, pray for this. We got kids that come up and get prayer cards who can't read. And I just, I don't know what that's about. You know, maybe they're doing one of these things, you know, and stuff. But uh, it's really cute. And so we, yes, we, we believe in family worship. Um, and we do it on Wednesday evenings. We don't do it on Sunday mornings because we're here for different purposes. We have different meetings to accomplish different things. And, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, I can't come Wednesday night. And I go, hmm. take a day off, get a new job. I don't know what you have to do, but, you know, that's what we do. Advancing on the wall, singing with the worship band, they could be heard afar off. Now, the Apostle Paul founded a church in Thessalonica. He was only there a short while, 21 days, best scholarly guess. Writing to them, he noted... For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Something sounds forth from every church, at least spiritually, if not actually. Sadly, sometimes the sounds going forth are somewhat weird or worldly. They can even be sinful as Christians falter and fail. Oh, did you hear about this church? Did you hear about what happened over there? And, and it's, it's, a, it's a sounding forth that you really, it, it's not good. Um, we should strive to have sound forth from us. It says here, the word of God. But not just that we are teaching the word. That should be a given. You shouldn't even be going to a church that isn't teaching through the word of God. I mean, right, if you're a Christian? Because uh, in it we find all you need for life and godliness. And so it's not just teaching the word. It's that you're under its authority and that it's trusted uh, and, and, and the people in that church are worshipers of God in spirit and in truth, that it's a safe place, spiritually speaking, not lording over others, a place where a person can hear the gospel and be saved and then grow in their walk, a place to discover your gift or your gifts to serve and to be served. And so that's, the, that's, you know, the word of God encompasses all of that. It's not just the word itself 
being read and taught. It, it's the effect of the word. And, and so that's the reputation, that's the sounding forth that any church should want. Hey, those people over there, they study the word, they live according to the word, they're reaching out with the word, they love each other, they're serving each other, those kinds of things. One of the things I love about our church, having been here these many years, is that over the years, people come back. It's not that they even left for a bad reason, but sometimes they move or whatever, and then they come back. And we're pretty much doing the same thing we have always done since 1985, only I hope we're doing it better. Uh, I'm sure, our, our, I know our building is better, but uh, by a little bit. Anyway, uh, but you know, we can, I guess, when, and by we, I don't mean me, I mean we as a church, we can be trusted. People can get up in the morning and say, hey, I can go to Calvary Chapel, and I can, they're going to worship the Lord, they're going to teach the Bible, they're not going to get off on some doctrinal weirdness, uh, and I can be ministered to at that place, no matter how long I've been gone, no matter how long I've attended. And so that's what we want. We want to be sounding forth something solid and trustworthy. Now, here we found out that not just the noise of singing was heard coming from Jerusalem, joy was heard afar off. Again, it was a kind of an embodiment. Realize that the Gentiles who heard, uh, Gentiles who heard the singing wouldn't have understood Hebrew. If you lived in that area, especially the Jews had been taken captive for some 70 years, no one sat and thought, hey, we need to offer Hebrew as an elective for when the Jews come back to their land. Uh, that's just not going to happen. And so they were listening in Hebrew, but they were hearing joy. Some of the hearing from afar, I think, was just supernatural. God was and he is always reaching out to save. He thus amplified their praise to be heard and the Holy Spirit presented it to lost souls as a joy that they lacked. You know, a lot of times people, um, they'll talk about these big events like when Jesus fed the 5,000, there was probably more like 10 or 15,000 people in, the, in that area because of women and children. And they'll say, hey, I visited that spot and if you stand in a certain spot and whisper, people can hear you a mile away. I don't think that's true, by the way. I just think, uh, you know, somebody told them that. But maybe it is true in some circumstances. But I'd rather think that God actually amplifies and, and that it's sort of miraculous because he says, hey, I want you to hear this. I've seen pictures in, uh, in books and stuff of, of uh, revival meetings in the United States where crowds were going down streets, you know, in between all these huge multi-story buildings. And everybody said, yeah, I could hear perfectly. Maybe it's acoustics, but maybe it's just God reminding us that he cares. Now, they couldn't hear what was said in the sense of understanding the language, but they knew that it was joy, that here was a people who, against all odds, still had joy. And even though they were back in the land, they were, I don't want to say this disrespectfully, but they were kind of back in the land in a lame way. They were still subject to Persia. They hadn't declared independence from Persia. They were still subject to the king. Their walls were rebuilt, and that was great, but their temple was the second temple, didn't have the glory of Solomon's temple, as far as many people were, certainly as far as non-believers were concerned. And so to think that these people could have joy was an amazing thing. And so those Gentiles are probably thinking, hey, none of that happened to us, and yet these people have joy, and I have none. I have everything I could want, I have wealth, I'm solid, I'm a citizen and all that kind, but I just, I lack what they have. I want what they have. Now, the chapter closes with a description of the after-worship activities and assignments. Verse 44, and at the same time, some were pointed over the rooms of the storehouse for the offerings. 
the first fruits and the tithes to gather them uh, from the fields of the cities, the portion specifically specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. Both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their God and the charge of their purification, according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of the singers, songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. In the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, a portion for each day. They also consecrated holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron." Day-to-day responsibilities are always less exciting. They, uh, you know, things like tending to the storehouse and distributing stuff, uh, that doesn't really grip you. Uh, Every week wasn't a wall-walking worship service. The dedication of the wall, the culmination of that restoration project, it deserved its own special day, but then you had to get back to basics. Now, the Israels did have the weekly Sabbath, seven annual feasts, Uh, the Sabbath year every seventh year, and Jubilee every 50th year. Uh, And that was, you know, those were pretty exciting. Uh, But, um, you know, people sometimes, they they want that same experience all the time. There's a problem that you sometimes have in certain Pentecostal circles and Pentecostal churches because they, they always want to have a wall walking experience every week. They all want Pentecost every week. Pentecost, as we learned last Wednesday night in our study, uh, is a one-time, non-repeatable event with tongues of fire and a wind-whipped fury in the upper room. Uh, that doesn't happen all the time, but people think it should, and so they come up with things. Uh, it, they, they kind of think, I've said this before, and I hope you'll understand I mean it respectfully, certain people think that the Holy Spirit is the crazy member of the Trinity, that he has to be coaxed in, and once he gets in, it's like, it's on now, and you never know what's liable to happen. Uh, that he's a little bit off. In, in the Italian family, there's always somebody who we call stunad. I don't know if you are familiar with that word. Fredo in The Godfather, he's a little bit stunad. He's not quite all there. And so the Holy Spirit is, is, people attribute to him all kinds of weird behaviors and strange things. And they want to try and have Pentecost every week. And so they'll get into an experience and then that'll go for a while and then, and then that becomes boring and then there, there needs to be another experience and another experience and another experience. Have I talked to you about grave soaking yet? Have I, have I mentioned that from the pulpit? Let me read you this. What is grave soaking or grave sucking or mantle grabbing? All the same phenomena. Uh, it's the act of lying across the physical grave of a deceased preacher or evangelist for the purpose of pulling out the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that was trapped within the body upon the person's death. So if I die before you do, And they bury me here in Calvary Cemetery. Make sure you come and lay on my grave and suck out the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, you think it's funny, but people are doing this because there always has to be a greater experience than the previous one. And and, um, it's sad. We just need to leave it to the Lord and be open to what he wants to do that is biblical If you attend a church like ours, there's a calendar of worship opportunities. Whichever one or ones you're led to attend, I'd like to believe they advance your worship of Jesus and thereby lead you into a greater thanksgiving for who he is and for what he has done. It's always nice to have an example, and it's best to have a biblical example of what you're talking about. Habakkuk was a believer who embodied thanksgivings. 
God revealed to him that Israel faced tremendous difficulties. They would be overrun and taken captive by Babylon. Habakkuk responded saying, I will take my position and be on watch, placing myself on my tower, looking out to see what he will say to me and what answer he will give to my protest. Uh, Habakkuk retreated to wait. You might say he retired for a time. His retirement was short-lived. Waiting, he advanced to worship, exclaiming in verse 17 of the last chapter of Habakkuk, though the fig tree may not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, I kind of see this as him with his yellow pad and he's drawn a line in the middle and saying, good things, bad things. And so no fig trees, the labor of the olive is gonna fail, the fields will yield no food, flock is gonna be cut off from the fold, no herds in the stalls. Okay, what's on the good side? This is, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. And so basically what, what Habakkuk says, he says, hey, I'm gonna summarize how bad it is. I'm not even gonna tell you that we've been taken captive or that the walls have been broken down or that the temple has been burned down and all of its artifacts removed and that no one's gonna ever find the Ark of the Covenant again. I'm not gonna tell you about all of this. It just this stands for how bad it is. It can't get any worse. But it's all canceled out by the God of my salvation. I am saved and God's promises are true. He is yes and amen. And he goes on to say, the Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on high hills. And he dedicates it to the chief musician with stringed instruments. And so Habakkuk, he waited on the Lord. He worshiped the Lord. He embodied thanksgivings. You need to meditate on how that's gonna work out in your own life because if it was enough for him, it is for us too. In fact, we have a greater advantage than Habakkuk had because God the Holy Spirit literally indwells you if you're a Christian. And he is there to help you. He'll pray for you. He'll teach you. He'll minister to you in every way that is possible. But you have to make that shift and say, hey, I'm saved, free from the power of sin, delivered from captivity to Satan, on my way to heaven. What more can I want?